Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. On this week's episode of The Drip, we discuss some of the headlines from the week of November 15th, including Trudeau enshrines net zero by 2050 into law, sort of, Aaron O'Toole's past support for union busting, ethics hypocrisy from the conservatives, the feds give the Mia Center some serious cash. TVO goes black. Cory Bush gets called Brianna because Republicans have never heard of Brianna Taylor. Sad. And many more. To kick off our politics segment, the government of Canada tabled legislation that forces itself and future governments to set legally binding targets to reduce climate change to net zero by 2050. It's the Liberal government's first step to keeping a 2019 election promise to be more aggressive in cutting greenhouse gas emissions. For those unclear on what, quote, net zero by 2050 is all about, it means that emissions produced 30 years from now will be fully absorbed through actions that suck carbon from the atmosphere, like planting trees or carbon capture technology. And for the record, the Liberals have promised to plant 2 billion trees, and there's already carbon capture technology being used in the prairies and oil sands. And we're doing all this because if global emissions don't reach net zero around mid-century to keep the global temperature at 1.5 degrees Celsius, we're going to experience violent and unpredictable weather that'll impact our lives and livelihoods. So it's important stuff. The government's plan would create a 50-member advisory board made of climate experts, scientists, and indigenous reps, and others that have to be consulted before any target is set. That board would advise the climate change minister on the best ways to set targets sector by sector to achieve net zero. Once advised by the board, the legislation then compels the minister to present it to parliament. Even though there aren't penalties for missing targets since the government is implying that Canadians will be the ones to punish the sitting government of the day at the polls for inaction, environmental groups like the Pembina Institute, Ecojustice, and West Coast Environmental Law are all really happy about it, even while saying it'll be a whole lot better if the plan started keeping governments accountable as early as 2025 instead of 2030 and, you know, if it actually had penalties. What are your thoughts on that, Patience? I agree. I don't know. I feel like 2050 sounds really far. Um, maybe because I'm, you know, super young, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like there are no penalties and the end date or the, the target is set for, for so far away that um, it kind of excuses inaction for the next decade or so. Yeah, like it's it's so odd, right? On one hand, you have some organizations praising it while saying it should be strengthened. And then on the other hand, you have people like Green Leader Anime Paul pointing out that it's kind of useless 
since a future government could just repeal this legislation and because it actually contains no plan to achieve the targets. But maybe that's what the ministerial council meetings I mentioned earlier are meant to resolve, right? I don't know. The conservatives, for their part, are already inserting the argument of, but how much will it cost? Which is irresponsible because, yes, it's cheaper to be dirty now. But doing so costs us a ton, literally billions over the next few decades, through more people having mild or critical health conditions due to poor air, water, and soil quality, our food supply being disrupted and erased due to unpredictable and violent weather. And and as it gets hotter and hotter in some places and colder and colder in others, we'll use more and more utilities. So we need to make investments now to save ourselves from catastrophe a little later. Because understand this, climate change will make our planet's weather violent within our lifetime. And most of us ain't ready for that shit. The NDP, for their part, says they spent the year pushing the government for a strong bill and are disappointed with the outcome. So they'll be pushing for the bill to have more accountability within this decade. Jumping to our next story in Canadian politics, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the supposed new direction for the federal conservatives, as well as Doug Ford's government, with a higher focus on labor engagement, something conservatives historically ain't down with. Turns out progressives and conservatives are finally seeing the holes in Aaron O'Toole's argument, because historically, he supported legislation that attacked unions and made it harder for them to thrive. But now he wants to be their best friend? Nah, man. No new friends. O'Toole voted for bills C-377 and C-525, two private members' bills that became law in the last year of Stephen Harper's conservative government. Bill C-377 forced unions to give a lot more detail in their public financial disclosures, including transactions of $5,000 or more. Bill C-525 legally forced any vote to certify or decertify a union to be by secret ballot. Both bills were seen as cruel and degrading. All that coming from the guy who just a few weeks ago said, unions are an essential part of the balance between what was good for business and what was good for employees, and that that balance is dangerously disappearing. Thoughts on that, Patience? I told you this guy was lost, son. <laughs> I told you, well, last time we spoke about this, that he doesn't actually know what he's saying. And obviously he was doing it to just appeal to to voters who were who who he had the attention of at that time. He has absolutely no intention of following through on labor unions and fighting for the employees. Absolutely no interest in that. I mean, many people are pointing out that the strategy he's employing is the same strategy that Trump used to uh attract those same states that went back to Biden in this election. Uh he's trying yeah. to attract that 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 union vote. Um well, clearly he's got some explaining to do. Walter Pomick, who was the 2015 conservative candidate and is the board chair for Merit Canada, which advocates for union busting in the construction industry, and that was a strong supporter of both bills, said he and many like him were, quote, shocked and, quote, not happy with O'Toole's new direction, which they see as counter to conservative values. Remember, I was talking about this just last week. O'Toole needs to bring his party along with him. And as we see here, it's not clear he can. And quite frankly, considering his past voting record, it doesn't even seem like he wants to. 
For the record, Canadian Labour Congress President Hassan Youssef said, quote, any unionized worker hearing O'Toole's new line would have to be skeptical. It sounds like election engineering. Until he speaks directly as to how he reconciles his anti-union record with his new views, I remain quite cynical, end quote. Jumping to more news from the Conservatives because they are just full of it. I just love how hypocrisy keeps oozing from them. They keep showing that they don't care about ethics. They only use it as a talking point. But don't take my word for it. Look at the latest ethical lapse from the party that likes to throw stones, though they live in a glass house. Former wannabe PM and American citizen Andrew Scheer has been called out by the NDP and Bloc Québécois for doing almost completely what former liberal and now independent MP Yasmin Ratanzi was booted from the Liberal Caucus for last week using public funds for nepotism. Andrew Scheer hired his wife's sister, an interior designer, to a position in his office. Then he had his wife's sister hire his wife. What makes it, what makes this funny? You're lying. You're lying. I ain't lying, fam. What makes this funny is the rules governing spending by MPs and senators were made by a parliamentary committee called the Board of Internal Economy. And old Andy was chair of that committee when the rules were made. The same rules he's unethically flirting with now. This is my question to, to all of you who are listening. If you just you know, feel free to respond to this in my in my in my inbox. How are Cher's actions any different from Ratanzi, who also hired her sister to work in her office? What are your thoughts, patients? It what is what is most infuriating about this is that this is happening at the same time as we're seeing people lose their jobs. Mm like professionals, like career people lose their jobs because of what is happening in the world. So it's not like you can even say, you know, good help is hard to find. I had to, you know, hire my, my, my sister-in-law and and my, and my wife or my sister, like there, there's so much talent out there. So it's, it's really, it's a slap in the face to anyone who has, you know, more than 10 years of experience serving political leaders who was, who was really like looking for an opportunity here. It's disgusting. And it's the exact same thing. It's disgusting. But at least the liberals have the guts to kick someone out of their party for doing so. Whereas Sheer, I mean, you're, you're taking pictures with your, your, like, you're not even trying to hide the fact that that's your sister-in-law. You have public pictures with your sister-in-law and, and, and your, your wife and, and you're just hiring them onto your team. Like, at least, at least Robert Tansy was like, yo, change your last name. <laughs> The NDP's Charlie Angus said, quote, if he's hiring an extended family member and that family member is hiring his wife, it gives the appearance of a quid pro quo, and I think he needs to explain himself. The Bloc's Marie-Hélène Gautreau said, quote, if the Conservatives are to be consistent when they criticize the government, they must be irreproachable. Their credibility is at stake, end quote. You'd think they'd have zero credibility after what they did while they were last in power, but anyway. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, for his part, said Scheer's choices don't meet his ethical standards, which is interesting, considering that uh, his deputy leader, Candace Bergen, said she sees no problem with what Andrew Scheer did. No, but, but she's, she's from Manitoba. Maybe it's a Manitoba thing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. For the record, the PM declined to comment on the matter, saying it was for old Andy and the Conservatives to respond to. He said the Board of Internal Economy 
which regulates spending by MPs and senators, would do some thinking about how to stop this dumb stuff from happening in the future. Jump into the Canadian economy. Heinz is back. Sort of. In 2014, Heinz shut down its century-old plant in Leamington, Ontario, and cut 740 jobs and then switched its production to the United States. At the time, the plant was processing half of the entire $52 million tomato crop in Ontario. People then were cheese dug. I remember Kathleen Wynne's government, and I think the federal government, publicly lashed out at the company, and so did the public through a campaign urging people to buy French's instead, since French's swooped in and said they'd save the factory that Heinz had abandoned. To put into perspective, in 2015, Heinz accounted for 83.7% of ketchup sales in Canada, while French's sales weren't even a blip on the radar. This year, Heinz is down to 76.1%, while French's jumped to uh, second place with 6.9% of the market. Well, six years later, Heinz is back. Starting summer 2021, Heinz will produce 45 million kilograms of ketchup every year from a factory in Montreal, creating 30 jobs. The tomatoes, for the moment, will be supplied by the U.S. because contracts keep it that way. But as soon as the contracts are up, Heinz will switch suppliers. Your thoughts on that, Patience? French's makes ketchup? You're disrespectful. You're actually disrespectful. French's makes mustard, Yes. But they make ketchup. No. Okay, the reason I'm saying you're disrespectful is because I'm one of those people who maybe I'm just a political nerd, fam. When that when that announcement came out, I was like, yo, French is all day. We're not no, no more Heinz in this house. If I'm honest though, there's nothing like Heinz. Exactly, fam. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm glad they came to their senses yeah. in their back, you know? Yeah. By the way, for the for the record, the, obviously through the data I just pointed out, the majority of Canadians they yeah they didn't bat an eyelash. They can't buy it. Yeah, seventy six point one percent of us couldn't even find the Heinz or couldn't even find the French's ketchup. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So there's that, yeah. Moving on to black, blackity, black news, Nia becomes Canada's first black cultural arts center. So I think we're a little bit late on this story, but it's certainly worth a mention. Earlier this month, the feds finally found the money to invest in the Nia Center, allowing it to cement its status as the first professional black cultural arts center in Canada that will showcase art from across the African diaspora. 
When renovated, the Nia Center will have expanded capacity to present music, dance, photography, film, and theater. The construction highlights include a multi-purpose performance space with capacity for over 100 seated guests, multimedia collaborative art spaces, including a digital media lab, a recording studio, as well as a collaborative artist studio space, a youth hub and private rentable event space with outdoor recreational use, a a boardroom and co-working spaces with hallway galleries on two levels. Once known as Isabella's Ballroom, the, the space that they currently have for the Nia Center used to be a gathering space for the community to see reggae, soca, and calypso acts back in the 1970s and 1980s. So this cultural hub is a modern testament to the history of Black culture in Canada. It literally stands on the foundations of Black migrants who brought their entrepreneurship and creativity with them to the Vaughan Oakwood community. And it will now build on that hallowed legacy, a living monument beyond their ancestors' dreams. For those who are wondering what Nia means, Nia is a Swahili word that means purpose and really speaks life into the center's purpose to manifest a safe communal space for Black creatives in the city. That's fantastic. In other Black, Blackity, Black news, TVO goes Black. Mm-hmm. So last week, we spoke quite a bit about Minister Stephen Lecce, who is on a roll for, in terms of his support for Black communities with his appointment of a Black man, Jeffrey Orridge, to be CEO of TVO. TV Ontario, aka, for those of you who don't know, Channel 2, <laughs> is a publicly funded English language educational television network and media organization serving the Canadian province of Ontario. It is operated by the Ontario Educational Communications Authority, a crown corporation owned by the government of Ontario, which means that its CEO is appointed by uh, a board typically composed of uh, elected officials. Education Minister Lecce and TVO board chair Chris Day made the announcement on Tuesday, saying Orridge was the successful candidate out of a field of 170 people. Orridge graduated from Harvard Law School in 1986 and has worked in sports and television for three decades. He has previously held senior executive roles at the Canadian Tire Corporation, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, and a global not-for-profit, The Right to Play. Lecce is definitely on a roll um, trying to appeal to Black Canadians, uh, Black Ontarians rather. And uh, I mean, look, I'm happy for that. I just hope that that the government isn't appointing a whole bunch of black people who are just black conservatives. Mm. Now, I, I did see a, like an interview. I didn't watch the whole interview, but I, it was it was done by CBC, and it was actually two years ago. And um, it was uh, this gentleman, the new CEO, talking about you know what am I going to tell my kids about this racial upheaval that we're experiencing? And that was two years ago, kind of thing, right? So like. He does seem to be at least aware of what's going on, but obviously we, we've already seen that that's not enough for some black people. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I'm happy. I just hope that he's not a, a shell of what he should be. Uh, TBO is a, a really powerful um, source of information. And I think I've always felt like TVO was really underutilized when it comes to, you know, it, like compare it to the American equivalent, the PBS, right? Exactly. Like yeah. PBS, like, yeah, like creates documentaries that are relevant to what is happening in the country. And I've, I've always hoped that TVO could get there. And, and hopefully, I mean, Jeffrey's trying to make a name for himself. 
and turns it into something that we, we can be proud of as Ontarians. Yeah, they did say that a part of the, the selection process was somebody who had a focus on tech, or or at least they said that the reason they chose him was that his focus is on digital um, literacy and tech, which is obviously a big deal moving forward, uh, especially mm-hmm. under COVID. So um, I have no doubt that he's going to be doing that. Moving on to world news, which is really just American news this week. Um, Mondaire Jones and Richie Torres have become the first black gay Congress members. Jones and Torres, both of New York, are part of what's been described as a, quote, rainbow wave of LGBTQ officials who swept into victory in this most recent election. These men aren't random additions to the political circuit either. Uh, Seven years ago, Torres became the first openly gay elected official to serve on the New York City Council. Representation from the LGBTQ community in Congress matters as they are in for a pretty long battle with what is a very conservative, right-leaning federal court system that Curtis and I have spoken about a number of times, uh, particularly with the the Supreme Court being, um, is it it 6-3 or 5-4? Six Six three um, Republican. And that Supreme Court is trying to strike down, or rather, a number of justices on that Supreme Court are trying to strike down the same-sex marriage legislation that has been upheld since Barack Obama. Any comments on that, Curtis? You know, what came to my mind as you were speaking was, um, for every action, there's an equal opposite, an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if we can say that the, that the reaction here is equal, but if there's anything that we can say is good that Trump brought, it's the awakening of people, whether they be from the LGBTQ community or the Black community, the Indigenous community, wherever there have been people who have been downtrodden and marginalized, it has been their they've been called to wake up and they've been called to action and to fight for change. And so that's a very good thing. And uh, this is, this is, everybody should be happy about this. Cori Bush gets called Brianna in Congress. So a few weeks ago, Curtis spoke about how Black Lives Matter activist Cori Bush has been elected as Missouri's first Black Congresswoman, a huge accomplishment for the state where Ferguson happened. Um, one of Black Lives Matter's most memorable moments um, that took place in honor of the devastating uh, shooting of Michael Brown. Mm. I I like this story because it reminds me that, you know, Democrats and Republicans really truly live in in different worlds. So this is what happened. Corey wore a mask to raise awareness of the atrocity that was the murder of Breonna Taylor in her apartment by the state. So she wore this mask to her first day in Congress. You know, it's your first day on the job. You want to raise awareness. Maybe you want to make a political statement. So she wore the mask. Republicans simply thought she was wearing a mask with her name on it, perhaps to make things easier for them, and proceeded to call her Breonna Taylor for the rest of her first sitting in Congress. They literally had no idea who Breonna Taylor was. This is important because the Democrats did know exactly who Breonna Taylor was, but the Republicans simply thought that that this was a woman 
who was wearing her name on her mask. Curtis, can I ask you, um, who wears a mask with their first and last name? I mean, seriously, that is a narcissist does. You know what? So what literally just came to my mind, patient, is, well, they're used to narcissism because they've been dealing with it. They've been, in fact, emboldening it the past four years. So it's like, oh, somebody wearing their their, their name on their mask, kind of like Donald Trump does with his antics. Nothing out of the ordinary there. Sick. Sick. Like, what? Keeping tabs on Biden-Harris appointments, Joe Biden continues to show that he's serious about making sure that his transition team reflects the needs of a wide swath of Americans, not just the white and privileged. The Biden-Harris transition team has 500 transition members. Of those 500, 50% or more than 50% are filled by women. More than 40% come from underrepresented groups like racial minorities, people with disabilities, and people from the LGBTQ2 plus um, community. And more than 25% of the teams are led, not just, not just contained, are led by Black people. Observers say that they've never seen expertise about race figure so prominently in economic roles. This is huge. Right, Curtis? It is. I mean, look, um, at the same time, and we've talked about this before, there's the in other areas he's not moving as quickly as he should or as profoundly as he should, and he needs to be pushed in those areas, such as criminal justice reform. Mm. But I think that, you know, what Joe Biden and and Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau, what what these guys represent is is the middle of the road with a hint to the left, but the middle of the road way. And what that includes is, yeah, you're going to have people around the table who you don't necessarily want to be there, but they still need to be there because they need to be brought along too. You see what I mean? Right. And so that's what we're seeing. I think you, you gave Biden a lot there comparing him to Obama and Trudeau, but I, I appreciate that. I think you, you have high expectations. No, no, I'm, I'm being, I, I don't know. I, so you said I'm giving um, Biden a lot. I think that could be considered taking a lot from Obama and Trudeau. But the the reality is that this is this is the, the perspective. This is the, the dogma that these men uh, apply to, right? The standard that these men apply to. Um, it's about incrementalist change. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and it's not about being too progressive. And the reality is, we have to understand this as progressives, right? I think I've mentioned this before as well. We have to understand that what we see as very clear, we should go in the direction of of being more cognizant of climate change. We should be more, uh, uh, we should be doing more to reduce divisions uh, in society, etc. What we see as the norm. There's a whole swath, at least half a society, that doesn't see as the norm, and then they're outright terrified of those changes right right and yeah. so biden if, if i were in biden's shoes i would still have to consider those people in a, in a very serious way right so we, we have to remember that it's not he, he he's not just appealing to us and he's not just i say us like i'm an american but as a progressive he's not just a progressive president he's the progressive uh, rather he's the president of the entire united states just working off of that point of, you know, compromise and of, of leading all Americans, the orange Cheeto still has not <laughs> still not conceded the election. Nope. Just, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. 
For questions for the audience this week, a new poll by Leger and the Association for Canadian Studies suggests more and more people are down for the COVID-19 vaccine. Today, 69% of Canadians say they're down for the vaccine versus 63% last month. How has your thinking evolved about taking the vaccine? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drift You. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.